Well, good morning, everyone. Happy Sunday. If we have not met, my name is Carlos, and I am uh, one of the pastors here, and uh, realizing more and more I am becoming less cool than the rest of the team. I don't know if you've noticed, but the team gets younger, and that means they get cooler, and I become less cool. Pray for me. I'm having a crisis up here. So that's, that's my prayer request. If you have been with us, then you've been a part of um, a, a couple of series. One really is not a series. It is a direction of where we're going. If you were here for our first Sunday, Ilson and I shared how we spent some time back in November really seeking the Lord for where he would have us lead Evergreen in 2023. And, um, and, he, and, and, and we believe that God gave us a word, a word for us to anchor ourselves, a word for us to always reference and come back to. And that word is imagine. Imagine. Can you say that with me? Imagine. imagine. And imagine came out of an inspirational moment reflecting on Ephesians uh, 3.20. It says this, glory to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to the power at work within us. And so we believe that this word um, is, is a, a challenge. It's an invitation for us to approach God with bold prayers, to think of, consider God-sized dreams and aspirations, and have God-sized expectations that he is able, because he's proven to do more, immeasurably more, than we can collectively think, imagine, or dream. Isn't that an incredible thought? Take your best dreams, and God can top it. And so we're called to dream big. We're called to imagine. And so we've been considering what would it look like for us to be the best place. And if, and if you were here two weeks ago, I said, if there was one thing that Evergreen can focus on in being the best in the world at, what would that be? To be the best place for all kids and youth in Washington County and beyond. And so because we considered that as our focus, we thought that it would also be um, imperative for us to consider relationships. And so we want to be a great place for healthy relationships. And that was the message that Ilsian preached last week. And so today, what I want to go with is, can you imagine 2023 being the year where you and I, we get to imagine big, and in response, God asked us to give big. Could you imagine if we become the best place for generous people? Now, I don't know if you know this, but we have a history here. We have a reputation for being a generous church. Generosity is a value that we have. And the way we define generosity is important because it has to do more than what a lot of people immediately think of, and that's monetary giving, right? Some of you are like, great, I came on the Sunday on the money talk. Wow, I brought my friend on the money talk. Well, it is so much more because the way we define generosity around here is the extravagant giving of three things, our time, our talents, and our treasure. And so just as uh, Nathan said, you don't, you don't have to have much to give much, Right? You don't have to have much to give a lot. So, so um, we 
uh, get to consider what is time, what are talents, and what are treasures, resources, and gifts that we can give to a greater purpose than ourselves. And that's what I want to talk to you about. How can we become the best place for generous people? And so I began to ask myself, what makes generous people generous? I believe that all of us want to be more generous. I, I, I would have it hard to believe that we, are, we would push against that and say, no, I identify with Scrooge. <laughs> Scrooge is my spirit animal, right? <laughs> no one lives that way. We all agree generosity. When we see it, we admire it. But what keeps us from being more generous? What holds us back? I have a few thoughts, and I want to go to Scripture with you because in Scripture we have really a moment of great generosity. I mean, it is monumental, and it's found in the Old Testament in the book of Chronicles. We're going to go to the Old Testament today, folks. Isn't that exciting? <laughs> so we're going to be reading out of 1 Chronicles, and what you need to know, uh, 1 Chronicles 29, is the buildup of this is... Uh, the people of Israel, they have their own nation. They have their own king. He's the most famous king of Israel's history. His name is King David. And King David, he has this aspiration to build something. And those of you who know the story, what that is, he has the aspiration of building a temple or a house for God. Yeah. And it's really an incredible aspiration. Talk about imagine. Right? Talk about dreaming big. How many of you know, would say, I know a person who wants to build a house for a deity, right, for a God? Here was King David, and this is his aspiration. And we're going to read when he then takes his aspiration to invitation, to invitation. And so um, he is going to be inviting the people not only, um, yeah, to participate in the thing that he's already committed to doing. And there's some things that we can learn from that. And so let's read it together. It's nine verses they're going to be on the screen. It says this. Then King David turned to the entire assembly and asked, My son Solomon, whom God has clearly chosen as the next king of Israel, is still young and inexperienced. The work ahead of him is enormous, for the temple he will build is not for mere mortals. It is for the Lord God himself. Using every resource at my command, I have gathered as much as I could for the building of the temple of my God. Now there is enough gold, silver, bronze, iron, and wood, as well as great quantities of onyx and other precious stones, costly jewels, and all kinds of fine stone and marble. And now, because of my devotion to the temple of my God, I am giving of my own private treasures of gold and silver to help in the construction. This is in addition to the building materials I have already collected for his holy temple. Do you see how King David is emphasizing, I am giving above and beyond here, right? He's repeating himself. He's saying not only the things that I had command over, but I am tapping into my own personal wallet. That's how much I want to see this done. Verse 4 says, I am donating more than 120 tons of gold from Ophir and 262 tons of refined silver to be used for overlaying the walls of the buildings and for the other gold and silver work to be done by the craftsmen. Here's the invitation. Now then, who will follow my what? My example. 
and give offerings to the Lord today? Question mark. Then the response, verse 6. Then the family leaders, the leaders of the tribes of Israel, the generals and the captains of the army, and the king's administrative officers all gave how? Willingly. For the construction of the temple of God, they gave about 188 tons of gold, 10,000 gold coins, 375 tons of silver, 675 tons of bronze, and 3,750 tons of iron. How did they weigh and measure this stuff is what I'm asking, right? That is a lot. They also contributed numerous precious stones, and, were, and they were deposited in the treasury of the house of the Lord under the care of Jael, a descendant of Gershon. The people rejoiced. I'm going to read that again. The people rejoiced over the offerings, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. And King David was filled with what? Joy. He was filled with joy. Everyone say, wow. Wow, in one speech, in one moment, King David was able to raise more than all of my past bake sales and car washes combined. I don't know about you, but I washed a lot of cars <laughs> for Jesus. <laughs> and so here we have this incredible moment. And so what can we learn from this story about generosity? What can we learn about traits of generous people. I want to offer four thoughts, four observations that I think are valuable here. So if you're taking notes, number one through four. The number one um, observation is generous people, get this, generous people plan to be generous. Generous people plan to be generous. Now, we just read a moment where David invited the people to give, but when we look at the story, several chapters back, beginning in 1 Chronicles 17, is when David had the idea of creating this temple. But not only did he have this idea, he then began, as he said, to collect the materials, meaning he then began to plan to resource this generosity. Now, it was much more than just raw materials. We read about the tons of gold and silver and onyx, but what we don't see in these verses is that not only did um, David collect the materials, but he also drew out the plans, he, meaning he hired the architects. He had the blueprints. He funded the, um, the, the knowledge that was required, the skill that was required to build the temple. And then there was the stone cutters and the craftsmen and the workers that he set apart. In other words, David, his, his generosity, he thought about what it was going to take, who, was, who had to be involved, and so he had, a, he had to give of his time, his talents, and his treasures. This was a drawn-out plan. This did not happen by accident. Generosity doesn't happen by accident. Does that make sense? And let me tell you why I believe this is important. I want to share a personal story, and I want to preface it by this was before I met Ilsian. Okay? <laughs> this was also before I took a, FP, a Financial Peace University course, okay? <laughs> All right? Um, this was in my mid-20s, 
I was in a season where I just felt blessed, okay? I had moved into a new home. I had got started a new job. And, and I woke up one morning, and I felt the blessings of the Lord on my life. And I remember having a time in the Word and praying this very dangerous prayer that some of you may have prayed. Um, and that was, God, use me how you want to use me. Allow me to be a blessing to this new city. That's a dangerous prayer, folks. And so I came out from that, and I went to uh, the places where you have that kind of prayer, and that's Walmart. I went to Walmart, <laughs> and at Walmart, I saw a gentleman, and this gentleman was wheelchair-bound, and he was clearly asking for help. And I noticed how the customers just continued to walk by him, many of them ignoring even his presence. And I felt in that moment that I was going to do different. And so I take, took a moment, and I, and, I, and I made time for this man, and he began to tell me a story, a story that involved need. And his story, I don't remember all the details, but I remember is that he wanted to get back home, and he needed help getting back home. But you see, home was, I believe if I remember correctly, Chicago. We were in Los Angeles. <laughs> and so he told me how he had um, began to collect his funds for this, and what I remember about it is that he needed to buy a train ticket from Los Angeles to Chicago, and he was X amount short. And so because I had this prayer of God, use me today, I said, you know what, give me a moment, give me a moment, brother, let me make a phone call. I call my family member, I run the story with them, I get the green light, I go to the ATM, and I pull out some cash. Now, I'm going to tell you that this wasn't, you know, kind of like, you know, a few bucks. This was a couple hundred dollars that I gave. Now, I wasn't going to break my bank, but it wasn't your typical change, right? So I go, and I take that, and I put it in a wallet, and I think I wrote the name Jesus on it. And I went, and I, and I gave it to him, and we prayed together, and he was like, hallelujah. <laughs> I remember he was, you know, he was really grateful, and then, and then, and then we split ways. And that felt pretty good. But then about a week later, I show up to the Walmart, and guess who I run into? And it was one of those moments where you, you, you lock eyes and you realize you know each other, but you don't want to be looking at each other. <laughs> and so then what I do is I look at my family member, and I tell them, hey, remember that story? Remember that gift? He's right here. And as I turn around... Dude wasn't there. <laughs> he was out. And I remember running to try to engage him, but then uh, I couldn't find him. But I think about it. What would I have done had I found him, right? Was I, was I going to fight for those $200? Like, I was going to make the 10 o'clock news that evening? I mean, what was I going to do? And so clearly, I, ha I had been bamboozled. And I know, you're running, I know what you're running right now. You're like, now this guy's in, you know, he's leaving the church now? Right? Well, I've learned a lot from there. I've learned a lot from that moment. Yes. And I bring it up, all this to say is, here's, here's what I felt. And there's just, there's so much that I can go into that and, and we can have a bigger discussion. But here's, here's what I believe was happening. I desired to be generous. But I had no plans for my generosity. And that, for me, is what it's looked like 
when I did not give generosity any direction. Because God gives us for us to be good stewards in our generosity. And in that moment, I realized that I had not yet learned to plan, to plan my generosity. And some of you might be thinking, well, what about spontaneous giving? I believe in spontaneous giving. But I believe you should plan your spontaneous giving. You should be able to set apart. We agree as a household that we're going to give this away as God calls us to give it away. And we could always change our plans, but it's important to have one. And so here was these people, this king, this nation, they were not acting out in emotion. King David was not leading out of this kind of, hey, we're just going to throw everything at this. He had prayfully planned to be generous. And let me tell you, if you want to make a great impact in 2023 with your time, talent, and your treasure, can you decide for a plan for it today? Can you commit it to a plan? And so that's the first thing that I see. The next thing that I see is that generous people are led by generous leaders. Generous leaders. Now, notice the order. It wasn't invitation and then gift. It was gift then invitation, meaning King David gave and then invited others to give. This reminds me of a principle that I've learned here under Jared and Ann Roth, that leaders go first. Leaders go first. We have been taught this value that we're not going to ask others to do something that we're not willing to do ourselves. And that encompasses all things. And that definitely encompasses generosity. And I know that one of the challenges of today because I've heard it and read a little bit about it, is that institutionalized trust is at an all-time low. People distrust institutions. And many of us still see church as an institution. And so there's hesitancy to give towards any kind of organized anything because of a lack of trust. But here is King David. He's, he is leading by example he is giving first, then inviting. And it just makes me think of how we have set, um, we have set uh, guardrails for us to be integrous in our stewardships, in our stewardship of the finances and facilities of our church. It excites me that um, Ilsin and I, we have a, a uh, body of elected members made uh, by, by some of the households here whose responsibility is to steward the, finance, the finances and facilities of our church. And this is really important to me because we want that help. We want that counsel. And that is what they are. I'm talking about Evergreen's counsel, who next week, by the way, those of you who are members get to vote on three new members. And so I want to just let you know how important that is because here are individuals who, number one, they are invested in the vision and mission of Evergreen. They're all in on Evergreen. And not only that, but they have gifts and expertise in finances and business and human resources and administrations. This is their gift. And when they, when they become a council member, they are doing that as a volunteer. They are being generous of their time and their talents. But let me tell you, these are invested 
stewards, meaning they also lead in generosity of time, talent, and treasure. And it's because of that we can have confidence because here leaders are going first. And I believe that's what made this moment possible, that it wasn't um, those that had little. It was the leaders of the tribes. It was the officials. It was those that responded to King's leadership because generous people are led by generous leaders. Amen? The next thing we see is that generous people make generosity their idea. They own generosity. Notice um, that no one was forced, no one was coerced or shamed into giving. Um, King David, again, he just set the example, and it says that the family leaders, the leaders of the tribes of Israel, the generals and the captains of the army, and the king's administrative officers, they all gave a certain way, and that's defined as one word, willingly. They gave freely and wholeheartedly. And so when, whenever we make generosity our own personal value, it becomes our idea. And what, what then happens is it goes from I have to to I get to. This is good. This is of value. I get to participate in generosity, and it increases our cheerfulness. And that's what ultimately honors God. We see a verse that says, God loves the cheerful giver. And so generosity or generous people make generosity their idea. And fourth, we see this. Generous people give to that which is bigger than themselves. Now, King David knew that this project was enormous. And he looked at his son and he says, hey, this guy's clearly chosen, but he's young and inexperienced. He needs help because what he's making is not for man. What he's making is for God. And so King David, he approached this knowing that this was bigger than him. It was for God. It was bigger than the nation of Israel. And so generous people, when, they, when we give, we give towards things that outlast us. We think of the next generation. And so that's why when we talk about generosity, we don't only want to be generous here. We want to be generous here, near, and far. And one of the things that I've celebrated and learned from you, Evergreen, is that you think of those outside of our reach. You think of those outside of these four walls. And this was confirmed even as early as last week when we got a report from our partners in Guatemala. I don't know if you know this, but we've, we, have, we have a 10-year partnership. Now we are in year seven with Food for the Hungry that is supporting efforts in helping a village, a remote village in Guatemala called Chicalte. And so we've been partnering on a couple projects. And so we just got our annual report for 2022. And can I just share some of those things with you? Yeah? So one of the projects was the chicken project. The chicken project. And this was a project that involved us collecting money so that chickens can be purchased for families. Now, why would that be a blessing to these families? Because their diet has limited sources of sustainable protein, and chickens serve as a sustainable protein, whether it be through the eggs 
or at the end of its life, hopefully they wait a while, they cook it in chicken soup, right? Um, so what, we, what Food for the Hungry has done is they have identified these families, and our goal was to give nine chickens to 120 families. That represents 580 individuals. And so 580 individuals have been blessed by the sustainable protein that they've agreed on. They've, they've committed to creating or maintaining a chicken coop, to creating feeders and drinkers through recyclable material, and by taking lessons on basic care and handling of these chickens. So these families, they've committed to that, and now we get to celebrate that 580 individuals are being blessed by the generosity of our kids. Our kids raised the fund for this project. Isn't that amazing? That's incredible. Yes. And another project that now just reached phase four is the Safe Stove Project. What you need to know about life in, in Chicalte is a lot of the homes are using traditional ways of cooking, and some of that involves a fire pit that's on the floor that creates smoke that has nowhere to go. And so they started to associate uh, respiratory diseases, high levels of respiratory diseases, especially with the women and the children. Why would it be mostly the women and the children? Because they're the ones spending the most time around that fire and inhaling that smoke. And so uh, Food for the Hungry was able to obtain this design for safer stoves that can be installed uh, in those villages. And so we just got the report that uh, we were able to fund 17 more families to receive these stoves. And that was just phase four. And so that brings a total of 84 households now have these safer stoves. Isn't that incredible? Yes, we can celebrate that. And we're almost to the goal. The goal has been 112 families. And so it looks like we are getting very close. And so I say that because our collective generosity should be celebrated. Jesus says, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. That has to do with private giving. We'll never come up here and boast about private gifts. But our collective generosity, you need to know how your generosity is having an impact here, near, and far. Which is why next week we invite you to the congregational meeting. Because we're going to give our 22 report. And we're going to tell you all the great things that your generosity, your commitment to Evergreen has done for so many lives and families. And so you're going to get that report. And by the way, um, if you are not a member of Evergreen, now's a good time. Uh, membership doesn't get you into heaven. I'm so sorry. It doesn't give you a free pass to heaven. However, what membership does is it gives you the ability to vote for one of those council members. And so if you're curious about your membership, there's a membership roster in the lobby. You can check it. Um, if you want to become a member, there's a simple application that you could turn in and be ready to vote uh, for next week. And so that is my, my announcement in the sermon. Can I move on? Yeah. And so um, generous people give, something, give to something bigger than ourselves, and so I want to just end with these final thoughts. Could we imagine, could you imagine with me, 2023 being the most generous year of your life? I mean, I mean think about where we started 
We, we, we are imagining God to do immeasurably more, immeasurably more than we could all ask or imagine. And what if our response is to commit to more generosity? To think about how we can strategically, thoughtfully give of our time for a greater purpose outside of ourselves. I'm all for limits. I'm not saying give what you don't have. I'm saying consider the time you do have and strategize it. To think about what unique gift can I contribute to this community or another cause that is wrapped in God's kingdom. I mean, all of you, you have ex- unique experiences and education and gifts and resources that are valuable. I mean, I, I think about all that goes on here and the fact that just behind me, we had Bruce Jackson um, in a couple of days build that. That would have taken me a couple of months, right? The fact that we have people who have an eye for decor and they are the ones who come and decorate during our holiday seasons. Um, to just think about the many ways, the unique ways that people with specific talents further the kingdom here. Now, I want you to hear this. I am less interested of where you exercise your generosity as long as it's within God's purposes. And so whether your generosity is at home or in your community or at your workplace um, or in the city, that is what we want to inspire. That is what we want to call you to, to make 2023 the most generous year of your life. Now, we believe that this is an exciting time for our church. And so we invite you to be a part of what God is doing in this season. We invite you to partner, partner with us with your time, talent, and treasure. We believe we're moving in a direction that is exciting and worthwhile, and so the invitation is up. I'm going to invite the, um, the band to come on up as we close with this. The result of this story is joy. And I believe that there's something there. I believe that you and I, we get to reap this experience when we live a life of generosity. That just like King David, he saw how the people gave and he celebrated. I believe that when we invite ourselves into a life of generosity, we are inviting ourselves to a life of joy, and I believe that that's how God designed it. I also believe the words that Jesus said, or was quoted to have said um, in Acts, that it is better, it is better to give than to receive. I believe Jesus' words in that. And so what I want to end with is thinking about how this story started in 1 Chronicles 17. I invite you to read it when you go home. I'm just going to retell it. Because David has this moment where he's, he's sitting in his palace and he considers where God dwelled. And he says, I'm in a palace and my God's in a tent. Because up until that point, they still had the tabernacle that Moses had built. And he says, I'm going to build God a house. I'm going to build God a house. And so then 
God then talks through Nathan to communicate to David this because God says, hey, I don't need you to build me a house, man. I've never asked anyone to build me a house. Heaven is my home and earth is my footstool. I'll tell you what I'm going to do for you, David. I'm going to build you a house. And so what, what is God saying there? He's saying, I am going to do something more than you could ever imagine. I, 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 I love your heart, David. You want to build me a house, but I'll tell you what, I, I'll, I'll one-up you. I'm going to build you a house. Because through your family line, I'm going to establish an everlasting throne. I'm going to send someone to rule forever. And who could that be? Jesus Christ. So we have this moment where God essentially shows us and he shows David, you're not going to outgive me, man. We, you and I, we can, we can live a life of obedience and sacrifice and devotion and it will never come close to what God has done for us. You cannot outgive God. And the greatest example of that is that he gave his son for you and I, for you and I to have life and life eternal, to know the God that created all things. And so if you need any motivation to be generous here, near, and far, consider what God gave you, gave you through Jesus Christ. He gave you a savior. He gave you a healer an eternal hope. We believe he's coming again. So no, no matter how dark the days get, we can always look forward to a brighter future. And I hope that if there's anything you can go away with today is that God's going to care for you. He's going to look after you. He's going to provide for you. And there's nothing you can sacrifice that's going to outdo him. And so I invite you to pray with me. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the stories of inspiration, these moments of faith that challenge us, that stretch us, maybe even frustrate us. God, we thank you that we get to reflect ultimately on who you are and what you've done and what you've promised to do. God, you are a God who's going to outdo us, outlove us, outserve us, outgive us. Because in you there is a never-ending supply of generosity and care. And my prayer is that if we can experience anything in 2023, it's that. That you do immeasurably more for us than we could ever hope or imagine. And so God, allow us to live a life with open hands and willing hearts and be cheerful givers in whatever ways that looks, Lord, whether, whether it's serving here, whether it's serving in the city, whether it's uh, offering of our gifts, whatever that looks like, give us discernment for that, help us plan for that, and help us to experience the joy 
that comes as a result. We thank you that we get to do this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.